Welcome to Supply Chain Now, the voice of global supply chain. Supply Chain Now focuses on the best in the business for our worldwide audience, the people, the technologies, the best practices, and today's critical issues, the challenges and opportunities. Stay tuned to hear from those making global business happen right here on Supply Chain Now. Hey, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are across the world. Scott Luton, Greg White with you here on Supply Chain Now. Welcome to today's live stream. Greg White, how are we doing? Doing quite well, Scott. How are you? Doing wonderful. Had a great weekend. Uh, we had some great cooler temperatures as, as me and the, the uh, Amanda, the kids, and my, and my folks went out to the farmer's market. Of really course. enjoyed that. What'd you do? What'd you get some local honey? <laughs> no, we got everything else. So um, everything else. And it was just a great day. Had a nice meal afterwards. And and the, the temperature, it wasn't like a brisk 60 degrees, as you know, mm-hmm. but it was just a lot cooler, a little bit of breeze. And uh, football is in the air. How about yours? Football is in the air. Yeah, that's that's the best thing about it. Uh, it's still pretty toasty here at the beach boat, but it has been raining, preparing us for storm season, right, in the southeastern part of the U.S. So, that's right. I mean, we've been in hurricane season for uh, over a month now. And Man. nary a peep. N- not a single <laughs> named storm yet. So that's, I can't believe I said that out loud. Hold on. <laughs> Um, knock on wood. Right? Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, it, it's actually been pretty pleasant. You know, you, you kind of got to plan your time when it's raining, right? That's right. That is right. Cooler. Hopefully keep our fingers crossed, knock on wood, cooler temperatures and football, football weather is right around the corner. But today, Greg, yes, Scott. it's the supply chain buzz where we share some of the leading stories across global business. We've got a special guest joining us around 1225. Uh, PM Eastern Time. That would be Eric Bush with Demand Driven Technologies. Yeah. Greg, a repeat guest, and uh, he's always enlightening when he joins us, huh? Yeah, always great to have him on, right? I mean, he, and he's tackling some of the issues that we are going to talk about today. Some of the challenges that companies are having. In fact, I did a commentary today about Spartan Nash and Piggly Wiggly. Piggly right. Wiggly, the greatest innovator in grocery history. <laughs> Strange, you know to say that, but. True. It is and, true. And some of the struggles that they have and, you know, a lot of, of the struggles that the grocery, the food industry in general has are, you know, precisely the things that Eric is tackling every day. That's right. And he, uh, big, one of my favorite things I like about his perspective, and you'll hear it here in about 20 minutes, is he doesn't want to do business in the same tired, old, and unsuccessful way it's been done. So stay stay tuned for uh, Eric Bush joining us here in about 20, uh, 25 minutes or so. Okay. Uh, we got a lot of folks say hello to. We're going to do that in just a moment. Uh, Gene, Shelley, Sophia, Adarami, uh, Clay, you name it. And we'll do that in just a second. But first, Greg, let's uh, share a couple of opportunities we've got for folks. We, hey, yeah. the news, perspectives, expert takes, some hot takes, but resources are some things that we like delivering every Monday at 12 noon Eastern time. This is one of those resources. This is a uh, upcoming webinar Wednesday of this week focused on how to use data to improve fulfillment operations. It's free to attend, but you've got to register. And that's going to be August 31st at 12 noon uh, with our friends at Six River Systems. Then we've got Thursday, Greg, me and you are tackling a panel focused on how to how a buy-sell solution can operationalize supply chain resilience to create value. Uh, that's going to be Thursday, 12 noon Eastern time with our friends at GEP. Greg, your quick comment there about this upcoming discussion? Yeah, that's a mouth, mouthful, isn't it? Uh, operationalize supply chain res- resilience. Whew. Say that three <laughs> times fast. Look, I think resilience is one of those things in supply chain that was Long put on the back burner, right behind cost savings. Well, cost savings and a half dozen other things. But anyway, finally, you know, we're starting to realize that we can't just be all about the cost, all about the forecast. We have to have some resiliency, agility, whatever you want to call it, some rebound capability capability in our supply chain. So I think that's going to be a great discussion. That's right. Every, every time I hear rebound, I think of the round mound of rebound, the one and only yeah. Charles Chuck. Barkley, right? Yeah, greatest <laughs> so, ugly golfer of all time. 
Man, that's right. We're talking golf pre-show. We'll talk touch on more uh, on that here in a moment. But hey, join us Thursday. Join us Wednesday. Join join us Thursday, and we got one other uh, event coming up. So we invite you to join our efforts to leverage logistics for Ukraine. This is an, an outstanding humanitarian aid uh, program led by our friends at Vector Global Logistics. Our next planning session. You don't have to bring anything. You don't have to give anything. Just show up and kind of kind of learn what's going on and, and what the real needs are and what's being done about it. Uh, it's September 13th, and the link to join us for that is in the comments. And as Greg likes to say, hey, give a little, give a lot, give a give a whole container ship full, but just as long as you're giving. Is that right, Greg? That sounds good. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> I think, you know, it's funny. It's been six months since Russia, the criminals, invaded Ukraine, and... Um, and it, I think it was on precisely the day, their Independence Day, that the six-month date hit. And there's irony for you, isn't it? Um, but yeah, it's uh, you know, there's it's still going on. There's still people in need. Contribute. That's right. And uh, you know, we need to get some updated numbers. Uh, but over three hundred thousand pounds of wow. vetted humanitarian aid has been sent across and has has landed just from this one initiative. Uh, so big fans of all the folks that have been a part of that. Uh, so join us September 13th just to find out how you know how you might can can help if you're in position to. Okay. Uh, let's see here. Let's say hello to some folks. Uh, Josh Goody, your ears were burning the other day. Greg, who were we talking to from up in Seattle? It was somebody on on here uh, was it last Monday? I think it might've been last Monday. I think I you're right. It was on one of the shows last week. I know that, but they were on at the same time. Right. right. Cause, uh, I think Josh, uh, untrue to form did not give the weather report and ah. whoever it was, <laughs> we'll connect those dots. We need to go but- back and figure that out. <laughs> That's a mystery. Right. Josh is our resident uh, Seattle area correspondent. Uh, always love his perspective no as he shares here. Good morning, everybody. Still sunny, but Seattle finally got some rain over the weekend. Excellent, Josh. Of course, big thanks to Catherine, Amanda, Clay, the whole uh, production team to help make it happen behind the scenes. Good morning to you, Catherine. And by the way, Greg, happy birthday to Catherine. Tomorrow. Who celebrates her. That's right. Tomorrow. Tomorrow, but yeah, right? I mean, we're not going to, we may not be around to say. That's Happy right. Birthday. At least not so, on the air. Sorry, I hope you didn't want it to be a secret, Catherine. <laughs> right. Well, hope you and your family have a chance to enjoy that. Chris Knapp, checking in from sunny Atlanta. Chris, we were just talking about uh, slightly cooler temperatures, it feels likely, over the weekend. Chris, hopes uh, hope this finds you well via LinkedIn. Out of Ramey, uh, is tuned in. I wonder where he is tuned in from uh, via LinkedIn, Greg. Let us know. We'll let to connect the dots. Uh, Sophia. Sophia, hello to you. Happy last, last Monday, Monday of August. Unbelievable. Everyone. It's gone by fast, hasn't it? It sure has. It, you blink and yeah. we're, we're in NFL season. Your kids in are college in school season. for a month, right? <laughs> right. Uh, but Sophia, looking forward to reconnecting with you soon. Always, I've really enjoyed your perspective. You've been dropping in our webinars and live streams. Speaking of, Shelly Phillips from, from Colorado. Yep. Well, back uh, with is us. it Denver? It's at least Colorado. That's right. Yep. Shelly, great to see you via LinkedIn as always. Uh, Clay Phillips, we mentioned happy buzz day. Good to I, see you, Clay. I almost swiped that. I wasn't looking at the comments, but then I saw <laughs> he was here and posted that. So that's good. <laughs> uh, old GP, Gene Pledger from North Alabama is back with us via LinkedIn. Gene, really uh, enjoy your perspective as always. Josh says real football season started a few weeks ago. Four straight wins, by the way, Greg. I guess he's talking football. Uh, global football, right? So- soccer, yeah. Soccer, right. Yeah. English Premier League. Yes. The EPL. Yeah. Uh, Cecil is back with us. Cecil is back with us via LinkedIn. Great to see you, uh, Cecil. Let us know where you're tuned in from. Looks like you've got the beach in your background uh, and your headshot. Uh, let's see here. We've got a bunch of comments dropping in here. Wally. Hello, Wally. Uh, he says, well said, Greg. Cost-centric is very dangerous. It's one of the risks of supply chain, but not the only one, right? I think we treated it like that a little bit too much. Yes, good point there. Uh, Lucille is back with us from Toronto, Canada via LinkedIn. Lucille, great to see you here. Looking forward to your perspective. So I know we couldn't hit everybody, but welcome all. We look forward to hearing your uh, your comments on 
the news articles we're going to be working our way through. Sean Connery uh, joined us from Scotland, I see. I don't know who oh, right. that is, but... <laughs> I missed that. I watched, I, missed that uh, I watched Dr. No last night. I decided... The new one go, or the old one? I'm a huge... The very first Bond movie, not book, but the first Bond movie. Yeah. So, um, yeah. I decided I'm going back to the beginning and starting all okay. over again. <laughs> What's old is new again, yeah. as always. Well, as we dive, start to dive into the news here, uh, Greg, I want to start with uh, your supply chain commentaries, which have really, they have been growing like hotcakes. Is that still a phrase these days? I don't know. I'll, I I'll think so. update that later. I, yeah, I don't know. What? I don't know. Let's go with it. Yeah. Let's go with it. Growing uh, like selling like hotcakes. Um, so you publish these every Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Yep. Uh, and you touch on a variety of, of topics across global supply chain and then some. All right, supply chain touches everything, as we know here. Um, now, last week, I think this was maybe from Friday, yeah. you kind of had, um, it was like a, what I'm calling a supply chain medley. I loved it. You touched on loads, you touched on gap, you touched on monster energy. And I thought it'd be a nice little kind of walking around um, a level setting to give us a quick update on what you shared uh, last week. Yeah, well, in this particular one, it what was fascinating, so I do a newsletter uh, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday also, and I pick an article and then I review it. And, and that day I could not pick a, just one article. So I kind of, <laughs> um, talked just a little bit, invited people to, uh, join or, you know, yeah, to subscribe to the newsletter, but also, you know what I think the lesson of that particular commentary was, was read between the lines. So if you, um, go into those articles, Lowe's, Right is yeah. um, building uh, is is starting to do e-commerce for pros by pros okay. and contractors, not just as common consumers. Just as the housing market is collapsing and building is slowing at an well, virtually unprecedented pace, you know, in the last twelve years, four, sure. 12, 14 years. <laughs> so uh, you know, I, I thought I would highlight that to folks, and then the gap, you, you know, they. They are, um, you know, they're trying to kind of remain relevant and keep them keep themselves balanced in terms of e-commerce and in-store right. retail. And then Monster Beverage, you could just hear, read the pain in the CEO's voice, who clearly feels like he's being picked on, victimized, whatever you want to say, by people in the marketplace. He's like, hey, we're so much better than we used to. You guys just keep beating us down. That was all in between the lines of every one of those articles. But I think it's important um, for people to recognize what's not said in some of these articles as much as what is said. And and I just wanted to share that I took those things away from those articles. Um, and and you know, hopefully it helps people to think about both what's being said, how it's being said, and whether it's being said is a lot of the message that you should get out of some of these articles, right? Yep. Well said. Uh, no pun intended. <laughs> I, I think that's one of my favorite things. Uh, you know, Greg, you and I have done countless, uh, you know, I guess some other ships approaching uh, episode number 1000, right? So we've done quite a few of these together. Uh, and I love and, and, and how your approach to, hey, uh, it's almost like um, – uh, don't look where they want you to look and don't listen to what they want you to listen. Here's the real that's thing a, that's important, the signal. That's a great perspective, Scott. I think, yeah, I think that's true. I do try to bring that. I think a lot of people take it away too. You can see in the commentary that people, they are, um, again, reading what's said, but reading into what's not. That's in right. In a lot of cases. And I think that's good. And you got you also add a little sense of humor, and I'll throw this back up here one more time. Uh, Monster Energy has a my, well big problem. Uh, gap continues to fill the gaps. Ah, oh, I said it, and and it's just you know it's just enough. It's just enough humor as you work through. Well, you, uh, did you miss Lowe's is aiming higher? Huh? <laughs> well, a lot of good stuff. Uh, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and but it's not just what Greg has to say. Yeah, folks. Uh, one of my favorite parts is reading through all the comments and the different takes. Uh, so we draw really the, link. the point, isn't it? Yeah. Scott is to get everyone to put their perspective on these, to give their feedback challenge, you know, some right. of the presumptions I've made, maybe even educate me. And that happens from time to time on, on some of these things that I'm saying, because there's only so much research you can do 
in into these articles. And I, I, yep. I really appreciate the folks that have something to share in line or, you know, counter even to to what I've come up with or something that says, hey, you missed this or, um, you know, hey, by the way, this is the real truth around that thing, which is fa- I yep. think that's great for us to have a, a place to share that. Agreed. Agreed. But folks, y'all should know, Greg White doesn't miss a thing. I'm just letting y'all know that. But uh, kidding aside, y'all check out the link, comment, give us your take, and uh, look forward to seeing, uh, checking out the one today on the Piggly Wig, uh, the Piggly Wiggly, the pig, as we call it. Yeah. Uh, at least where I was growing We're big up. Big on the pig here. Big on the pig. Hey, Cecil, he asks and he shall receive, tuning in from Grand Rapids, Michigan. That photo, though, is from the East Coast, New Jersey. So, Cecil, great to have you here uh, today. I was going to say, there aren't many beaches in Grand Rapids. <laughs> That's right. Alan, great to see you. Tuned in via LinkedIn from Ottawa. Beautiful city there. Great to have you here. Yeah. Uh, Tashea, tuned in via LinkedIn. Let us know where you're tuned in from. Uh, would love to love to connect the dots there. Okay. So, Greg, speaking of making the connections mm-hmm. or breaking the connection, maybe, uh, your pick of the fate, your favorite segue there. I want to get into this story. You know, we have spoken quite a bit about cybersecurity across global supply chain in many ways. I think it's underreported. I think folks are kind of um, assuming no news is good news. And man, <laughs> it's a dangerous assumption to make. And we also have uh, spoken a good bit about how bad actors are increasing their attacks, both in complexity and quantity. Along these lines, a trending LinkedIn news story uh, I found over the weekend, I found really interesting. So check this out. LastPass, which is new to me, Greg, it might not be new to you or some others, is evidently the world's most popular password manager. Now, the company notified its 33 million users in recent days that hackers had stolen source code and other proprietary information. I'm going to circle back to Greg, and he's going to let us know what source code is, being our resident technologist. Now, LastPass says no passwords from its users were amongst the compromised information. Uh, So, big news over the weekend, but then... Uh, another name folks may know and uh, be real familiar with, we've certainly used it here, DoorDash. Yeah. The food delivery platform also reported a hacking inc- incident where the bad actors did indeed make off with customers' personal information. They didn't release any numbers there. So, Greg, I'd love to get your take. And when I said resident technologist, you know, you're a founder, board member, um, uh, you know, been a been a part of the technology scene for since long before it was cool. So when we talk about source code, what do folks need to know about that? Yeah, I think what's really disturbing about this LastPass incident is that they stole source code, which is the code that even if you download technology onto your onto your machine, your laptop or mobile device or whatever, you don't get source code. You get what's called object code, which is encrypted, encoded, and kind of hidden away. So you can't reverse engineer the product. But when you have source code, that is the code that is written by the developers. So someone's got all the way into their development system and took away code that they use to run their technology. Now, the uh, official story is only some source code was taken, but they glossed (laughs) right over the source part of it. So they have the code that LastPass uses to make their technology work, at least some of it. That should be incredibly disturbing to people because who knows what part of LastPass they could duplicate or reverse engineer or even right um, clone or, or mimic and, and you know, fool LastPass users or fool uh, other people who are trying, want to become LastPass users, whatever into thinking they have a safe password uh, encryption technology when in fact they're giving it right to the hackers. Right. So, um, you know, it's it's a very concerning break and um, not good for LastPass. Though the, you know, there seem to be kind of two camps of let's rally around Last LastPass and, and, you know, thankful, be thankful it wasn't us and, right. and, and lift them up. But the truth is 33 million people's passwords, and I have hundreds and hundreds of them, they are at risk right now, regardless of whether they have been taken in this hack. Because they have source code, they they are, there is a a incredible risk. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so here's the good news, folks. If you're, if you're hearing this, clearly 
you know, this isn't a hardcore supply chain news story, but we wanted to share it here today because this is just the latest signal to take action, right? Just because you or your family or your work family, so as, it, as it were, yeah. haven't been compromised yet or yet you hadn't seen uh, any incident, hey, take action because as uh, CM, CM, great to have you here with us uh, today via LinkedIn. Shields no up. One. That's right. Yeah. Shield wall. Right. <laughs> if you've no one hiking. is above. Uh, and, you know, that's a good point, Scott. Remember when we were in Charleston a couple of years ago, we sat through a cybersecurity discussion that was eye-opening. It's not a matter of whether you have been compromised, as you kind of worded there. It's not a matter of whether you've been compromised. You've been compromised. It's a matter, matter of when they will activate, activate or act mm. on that compromise. So yep. um, I think we have to all acknowledge that. And th this has probably been going on for some time, even at last pass. Who knows? Right. Uh, and, you know, when it comes to global supply chain, that weakest link, right? That weakest link that folks can find their way in and do damage upstream and downstream. So take this Ask opportunity. Garden. That's right. <laughs> take this opportunity to huddle with the team and figure out where your your greatest where, where all your risk is and then what you can act on. Okay, uh, there's a couple comments here, and Lucille, I agree with you. Information never seems secure enough these days. Um, one, this LinkedIn user, and sometimes, folks, if your LinkedIn profile, there's a certain setting that where it doesn't share your profile information. You can go and change that in your profile setting, but. This, this person uh, this, probably won't do that because they won't <laughs> even right. use password managers. <laughs> That's exactly what they say here. If you're listening to the audio replay, uh, the user says, that's why I never use password managers. And I'd love to know who, I, I mean, who, is that consensus out there? Uh, I, I know some folks in my immediate uh, family are big proponents, big users. So y'all let us know. Uh, and Jose, great, great to see you here as always. What the heck is the show name? Jose, man, thank you very much. I'm going to completely steal that from you. But not nah, kidding aside, great to, great to have you here and uh, enjoy your live stream every Friday as well. Okay, so Greg, um, yes. we have got a big guest here today, a repeat guest. Yeah. Um, he set the internet ablaze last time he was with us here, right? Had, had truckloads of t-shirt-isms. Yeah. Are we ready to welcome in our esteemed uh, guest here today on The Buzz? Let's do it. All right. Well, with no further ado, I want to bring in Eric Bush, CEO of Demand Driven Technologies. Hey, good morning, Eric. How are you doing? Great. How are you? Doing wonderful. Doing wonderful. Great to have you back. It's awesome to be back. Yeah. Well, have a good weekend. Uh, well, you know, Eric and Greg, as we were both saying pre-show, uh, Greg, we didn't have as good of a weekend as who, Greg? Rory McElroy. Nobody had as good of a weekend as Rory McIlroy. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, those eighteen million reasons, and then some aside, I do yeah. want to stay with the sports theme for a minute, Eric, because okay. today is uh, National Sports Day. National Sports Day. Uh, it's a new so thing. Why are we I mean, <laughs> right? Why is this not a holiday? Good no point. Kidding. No kidding. But since we've got to work, uh, since we're double down and committed and passionate about working here today, there you go. I want to start, Eric and Greg. Eric, what is your favorite sports team you're most passionate about? Wow. That's a tough question. I grew up in Cleveland, um, longtime Browns fan. Kind of cringing about that as of due to events of the last several months. It's got me really questioning my whole existence. <laughs> but, uh, I don't want to get too caught up in the motion of it all, but uh, right, right. I can't name the Browns. I'm not going to name the Browns. Okay. Uh, big Georgia Bulldog fan, national champs last year. They yep. finally beat Alabama. That was awesome. Actually became a Gunners fan, Arsenal Gunners over in EPL when I lived in London. Josh, and major comeback against Fulham on uh, Saturday. That was quite exciting. But, but actually my top team right now are the Ravens. And not the Baltimore Ravens. Um, my grandson, Tegan, nine years old, plays on flag football. Nice. His teams have won the last two titles undefeated. I mean, nothing makes it grandpa more proud. You know, wow, see that's awesome. Grandson out there playing quarterback and making interceptions and running the ball <laughs> and just having a <laughs> pound in his chest. <laughs> I love but it. I'm wearing the purple, too, today. So there you love go. Love that. Love the Ravens, the local Ravens. Okay, so Greg, 
Eric shared a lot of man. We could we could go down a lot a lot of different routes there based on what he shared. But Greg, for those that may uh, the two or three folks that may not know you, what is your favorite sports team? I just loved. I mean, I will say it, but I just love for anyone who has a specul- speculative answer to give their answer in the comments. I'm just going to wait a couple seconds see if anybody <laughs> remembers. Uh, and uh, of course, there is nothing that the Kansas City Chiefs could do that would cause me not not to have them be their, um, you know, their biggest uh, fan. Yeah. Their biggest fan. I mean, right. Because they could, frankly, they could hire the, the head of Al Qaeda as the head coach and I would still root for them. So, uh, <laughs> that's, yeah, dedicated. that's going a long ways there, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> of course, that's that. only a joke, but, um, but, <laughs> Huge Chiefs fan, of course. And I really empathize in a lot of ways with Browns fans. One of my best friends, Paul Noble, and, um, and one of my longtime best friends is uh, are both Browns fans. We can all empathize together. We both had Marty Schottenheimer as coaches. We both had <laughs> multi-decade runs as mediocre at best football teams. And we've had some hard times. We've had some unsavory characters on our uh, on our rosters, um, and I, and so I, I empathize with where you guys are right now, Eric. I really do. With Carolina the other night, so you know. <laughs> yeah, I didn't get to see that game. How would he play? By the way, he had two touchdown passes. Dang, and he was proficient. I don't understand what was wrong with the guy personally. He almost single-handedly beat us the first game of last yeah. season. Um, and you're talking about the quarterback, the former yeah, Cleveland Baker Browns Mayfield, quarterback, sorry, Baker yes, Mayfield. Baker Mayfield, right? Who is and now with the Carolina um, Panthers. Panthers, yeah. yeah. Gosh. That's um, a true Falcons fan. You can't even say their name, can you? That's good, man. I appreciate <laughs> hey, it. Hey, we always got to be honest. I am a, uh, admittedly a bandwagon Atlanta Falcons fan, right? But, okay, we're um, talking about favorite sports teams. Scott, spill it. Oh. <laughs> so I'm a big time Clemson Tigers fan. You see some of the member memorabilia, memorabilia. Is that right? Uh, back behind me. Uh, I won't, remind me never to try to say that word again on uh, any live stream. And then secondly, of course, the Atlanta Braves. We had a tough, tough weekend against the Cardinals. Yeah. Late, late, uh, late game bullpen um, errors and mistakes. But hey. I can't complain. World Series last year, unexpected World Series, and and uh, they're good again this year. Yeah. So, Eric and Greg, uh, that is the Sports Minute, and we'll have to ha- have you back uh, soon again, uh, Eric, as we host a regular show, Supply Chain Nerds Talk Sports. So we'll, we'll revisit that a little later on. Hey, really quick, before we get into some of the key things we want to talk with uh, you about, Eric, I want to go back to uh, a couple comments here. Rami, great to have you via Ottawa, via LinkedIn. Uh, thanks for joining us. Look forward to your perspective today. Amanda and a few others are big password manager fans. Uh, hmm. Amanda says she feels safer online using it. That's, in, uh, That's interesting to, to hear. Gene, personally, had rather do my best in different levels of passwords than trust a password manager. Gene, excellent comment there. Kristen, go Chiefs. Great to see you, Kristen. Uh, via LinkedIn, let us know where you're tuned in from. And Clay, Clay's calling me out here. Bandwagon Falcons fan sounds like an oxymoron these days. Okay. Uh, there's probably plenty of us uh, around here. Good point, Clay. <laughs> um, and Lucille, hey, these conversations have made me start to pay attention more to sports. Hey. Well, then we have not supply chain. <laughs> so she was well, already paying of, attention to supply chain. <laughs> that is right. And speaking of supply chain, we're going to dive right in. We've got a lot to get into with Eric. And we'll start with this, uh, this first story here. So, Eric, uh, this supply chain dive story here, reporting on an automotive industry development that's turned quite a few heads. I think I referenced on the front end, and Greg, you and I chatted about this um, earlier. Yep. Ford Motor Company and others are expressing major concerns when it comes to battery sourcing. So, Eric, tell us more. It's a real interesting article, and um, you know, I'm very interested in this whole topic of the electric vehicles. I had my first ride in a Tesla a few years ago, and I was just amazed at the difference. And uh, one of the colleagues on our staff was explaining, you know, what the service interval is. It's like they check your battery every couple of years and that's about it. You know, because wow. when you think about it, an electric motor is so fewer electric moving parts than a combustion engine. It's, right. it's amazing. And what's happening, I think, just looking back over the last few years, how fast this thing is starting to take off. It's really striking. And I think 
the reaction that you'd see in the article about Ford, and they mentioned Stellantis, which is the uh, Ford, Fiat Chrysler um, strategies, is they are very concerned that they're going to run out of the raw materials needed for the batteries. Uh, Ford's focused on their battery producer relationships, but Stellantis is actually going even further upstream in terms of getting more involved with the suppliers of the raw materials, you know, the lithium and uh, the other elements that go into these new batteries. And so it's, and we'll kind of talk about on this other topic we're going to touch on as well, but it's interesting to see that they're seeing that, that oh, it's almost like we've got to go back to Henry Ford and Rouge River and vertical right. integration again, where especially in a period of change, like we're going to go through now with the EV trans uh, transformation is you've got to reconnect elements of your supply chain. And there's going to be a lot of continued evolution in the battery materials and the way that technology works. That's going to, I think, further accelerate the adoption of electric vehicles. And the whole market is just going to shift dramatically. And so I think, you know, obviously you can appreciate if you're in those shoes, you just cannot be shorted for these materials. They don't come from, you know, they're all over the world and there's unique country relationships. Some of it related to China, which is a big concern, obviously, because of what we've seen in the last couple of years with the way they've handled the pandemic and the like. Right. So the big takeaways for me is, you know, I think electric vehicle rate of adoption is accelerating. That's a good one for you, Greg. It's accelerating. <laughs> That's good. I like that. Thank <laughs> you. But, but, and I it's think the new that. technologies that are coming this way are going to further amplify that. And we're, we're going to see a very, very different picture here in the next three to five years. So I think the companies like Stellantis, like Ford, like others, where they're reaching further upstream to guarantee that they've got enough committed supply to meet their requirements is a smart move because those same technologies are used for laptops, for, you know, think of all of the electric, electrification of equipment, you, whether it's vehicles, technology, whatever. This is going to be a very, very interesting period that we're going to go through on that front. So my real takeaway was, boy, it's really picking up pace. One of our clients is a automotive supplier that does wiring harnesses. Okay. And they've seen a big shift towards the high voltage elements of it where, you know, it's the heavy duty equipment that transfers the uh, power from the batteries to the motors and the like. Much different technology than the typical harnesses that they do for your lights and things like that in the vehicle. So. Very, very interesting. And gosh, you know, can you say buddy, buggy whip? I mean, the guys who are making parts for the combustion engines, I hope they're seeing that sunset coming because I'm not seeing the combustion engines are going to go away forever. Right. But it's certainly not going to be the mix it is today in the yeah. next few years. That's well, right. I'm a, Greg, I'm going to get you to comment here in a second. But on your last point, Eric, that look at this uh, LinkedIn user. And Amanda, let us know who this was, if you would. They say 2035, no fuel engine cars will be sold in Europe anymore by law. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Um, okay. So, Greg, Eric shared a lot there. Of course, this article we're referencing here uh, from our friends over at Supply Chain Dive. There's a few of the comments I'll share in a second. But, Greg, your take. Yeah. So, about a few weeks ago, I did a commentary on this very article. And the things that struck me, Eric, were that at best, this statement, at best 50% of the raw materials required, what is it, to meet the combined announced targets for all EV OEMs is actually available. At best, half of what they need is available, right? And and the deadline is looming, as you saw there, 2035 for Europe. When you need supply to increase supply rapidly and you need to do, you know, and you need to do it by a substantial amount, how careful are you in how you increase that supply. Historically, not at all. And that was kind of the, the striking element of this article that, that leapt out at me. Uh, I mean, I think we'll, we'll not only have to address volume in uh, the means by which we create batteries today, but new battery technologies will have to be developed. We'll have to have substitutes for um, the rare earth minerals and elements that are included in um, in batteries and in semiconductors and things like that, because it's just simply not sustain, not even not sustainable. Of course, it's not sustainable. We're peeling away the Earth's crust, right? But it's it's n not even available to do that. Uh, you know, and, um, 
Volkswagen and Mercedes are both looking at Canada and Canada is spending something like 3 billion US to enable their, their the crust of their nation to be stripped away for um, rare earth elements. And, and doesn't that sound a little scary? I think we have to think about how we innovate to enable electrification because it is mm. inevitable, right? It is going right. to happen. For a long time, people have said, you know, all the, there's all these statistics about what it takes to build an EV versus the savings that it creates. But the fact is it's going to happen. So we have to figure out how to build them more economically, more environmentally, um, sustainably, right? Mm. So, so that it, it can happen because if we can do all of that, and I believe that we can, just like any new innovation, we're going to take a step backwards. But if we can do all of that, then we're so much better off. And also as a bit of a hot rodder, the torque, Eric, from an electric motor versus a combustion engine is unbelievable. I mean, so much more it's yeah. unbelievable. Two seconds, zero to 60 is a very real, real thing in your grocery getter if it's an electric. So, <laughs> yeah. hey, hang on one, Eric, I'm going to get your commentary in just a second. I recognize. So, uh, thank you, Josh. That was Christopher Reinhardt that shared that blurb about uh, the 20. 35 uh, sunset. So we'll have to learn more, a lot, lot more about that. Jose weighing in with Giants and Jets uh, is his sport teams. And Sophia says another thing being explored is lithium mining from e waste. I think I read that right based mm -hmm. on her correction here. Um, and then finally, Julia, Dr. Julia, great to see you here. She says that it reminds her of the machine that changed the world, the book. Uh, that that shares a lot more information about Ford and how we got here because Eric did yeah. mention yep. uh, that massive factory uh, and vertical integration. Okay, so Eric, you're going to respond to what something that Greg said. Yeah, I think there's. I did a fair bit of research over the weekend. One of you know, there's some other strategies that are being explored, and I always kind of thought this was unusual. You go by, like I lived in, up in Cleveland near Lake Erie. There's boats in the harbors. Most of them are never moving. You know, so. In fact, you know, there's a lot of batteries sitting in cars that aren't used all the time. And there's they're exploring ideas around switchable battery packs so that, you know, on your long distance drives, you have, you know, refill stations and you just would swap mm -hmm. out your pack, which would technically then reduce the scale of a battery you'd need in your car, which could then allow us to leverage that that amount of lithium in a different way. So, yeah. I'm really confident that they're going to come up with both new battery technology itself, but also thoughtful strategies around how to like ride sharing, you know, battery sharing, if you will, could become a very viable part of the, um, the supply chain for the electricity we need to run those vehicles. I love that idea. I remember when Elon Musk was trying to convince us that you could pop the batteries out of a, of a Tesla and, a little too big and, right and now. While, yeah. Like many of, I love Elon Musk. I think he's a genius. Um, but yeah. Um, but at the at the time, it made him look like kind of an idiot. But it is a great idea, right? Just stop in, grab a soda, whatever candy bar, pop a new battery in, right? And you know they're yeah. not that big. They don't have to be that big, right? And yeah. on you go, right? And then it charges over the next couple hours for the next person that stops in. I mean, that I think that's very viable. I look forward to the day we make it as easy as using a nine volt battery, just that size, just that connectivity. Maybe it's a nuclear battery. I don't know. I'll leave that to the experts, but, um, but Eric, it sounds like getting aside. You want a nuclear battery in your cell phone? <laughs> uh, I don't know. But, yeah. but, well, probably not, but it hmm. sounds like, um, uh, you could, you maybe could be our automotive correspondent since your company's doing some business. Sounds like an automotive industry. So we'll have to uh, circle back on that later. Um, and auto, auto, the automotive industry is going to be the theme of today's supply chain buzz, Greg and Eric. We're talking Honda with this next story. Yeah. Uh, I want to bring this graphic up here. Now, Greg and Eric, uh, my first car was a Honda four-door Civic. It got like 800 miles to the gallon. Oh, man, all the Probably stories. Felt that, like it. <laughs> right? And, and then I went on and had, I think I had four Honda Accords. They all look the same, gray four-door with the V6 option. So I am well attuned with what uh, how Honda does business. But Eric, let's talk about this, because according to Reuters, Honda is thinking about um, shifting away from uh, China being a big part of their supply chain. So tell us more, Eric. 
Very interesting. You know, the the issues in China have been in the supply chain news all over the place, but they have really recognized that they've got a big vulnerability, especially as it relates to how they service their domestic market in Japan and, you know, um, around the world. But they also do a lot of business in China. So what they're really talking about is kind of splitting it and having a segment that's really back reshore to Japan of key components and materials that go into their vehicles and then leaving the domestic China business kind of intact and self-sufficient in, in that way. Mm-hmm. And to me, it's all about diversification and really looking at decoupling some of these links. They talk about, I think they mentioned uh, Mazda in there as well, you know, looking to establish more in-market inventory so that they are less at risk of dependencies to external offshore, if you will, um, supply chain uh, partners. And I think we're going to see a lot more of this, you know, kind of going back to the Henry Ford example, where companies now really have a better appreciation for how much risk they've taken on by going, you know, 90 to 120 days away on a lead time to, you know, Southeast Asia, China, wherever, because it really creates a lot of vulnerability. You're committing to so much supply so far in advance yep. of when it's going to arrive for the market need, right? And we call that decoupling in our business. The more you can create insulation and buffers around that, the better off you're going to be. And we're seeing clients now reevaluating their strategy about maybe they're still going to look for lower cost markets, but much, much closer to where they operate so that they can get the advantage of a shorter transport lead time, still gain some price advantage or cost advantage, but uh, really create more agility. Because I think that's really going to become the primary priority that everybody's focused on going forward. Well said. Uh, And y'all keep the comments coming. We're going to share those in just a second. Greg, as I come to you, uh, it dawns on me as we're talking about anything China and supply chain that I did not bring my fire extinguisher into the live stream studio uh, as we're about to hear your take on this on this matter. So, (laughs) Greg and Eric, you may not have been a part of some of those earlier conversations, but Greg, what's your take on Hunt? (laughs) <laughs> on Honda's, on the news coming out of Honda here. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, one, we have to probably temper this with the nature of the paper that reported this, right, which is the seventh uh, leading, <laughs> number seven paper in the country, probably uh, trying for a little bit of headlines. And and <laughs> Honda has said, nobody said that, right? And, and as Eric explained, they are more dividing up to limit their exposure to markets outside of China, um, to the issues that you could face with China. But l- look, the truth is China doesn't play fair, right? And and um, they are not going to become a less obtrusive global player over the years, especially if we can p- continue to pump money into their economy. And, uh, and c- countries like Taiwan are feeling that heat. Mm. Right. And um, and Japan and Korea and, and others around there, Singapore and others are feeling the heat as well, Greg, China really continue- quick. Just uh, just over the weekend, uh, the Solomon Islands, which conducted uh, which signed a pact with China, uh, didn't allow a U.S. Coast Guard uh, a vessel to dock in their ports. So to your point, Greg, it, it's really a, a huge regional threat. Right. Well, the Chinese have ceased to be satisfied with their. um with their own borders, with being dictators within their own borders. And they're now spreading that not just throughout Asia and Southeast Asia, but throughout the world as, you know, as they've bought a lot of influence across Africa and other, other continents. So, um, yeah, I think it's, it's important for people to recognize that Japan has never, has never had any illusion about what China is all about. They've always had a tremendous amount of at least passive conflict. Uh, with China. So uh, I think that's as much of the issue as any. The catch is, will all of us pay more to free ourselves, to decouple ourselves, Eric, from from China and the incredible economies of scale that that, that uh, economy produces? I don't know. I mean, it, it is going to be substantially greater. Just to give you an idea, Someone who works in a factory in China makes roughly one seventh of what somebody who makes in the U.S. Wow! So, uh, 
And, and, you know, we talk a lot about replacing some of these roles with robotics. Guess where robots are made? Guess where most of the rare earth minerals come from that go into the semiconductors that make them, right? It's, it is very, uh, very circular. So um, I think it's going to be really interesting to see what is practical. And I think, by the way, if anyone can figure it out, it's the Japanese. They study things for so long. They have such an incredible long-term vision for their mm. companies. And, and their engineering capabilities are, uh, you know, world-renowned, right? Yes, agreed. As, as the owner of five Hondas, I completely agree with you, Greg. All right, Eric, um, I'll give your final comment. If you want to give your final comment on this story here. and then we'll- Yeah, I think, I think a lot of what Greg says is right on the money. I, I do think they're gaining that currency or that advantage through a lot of currency manipulation and management. And there's mm-hmm. only so far you can do that before – you know, it's going to, I mean, I saw that their GDP had slowed down dramatically this year, largely because of the lockdowns and things like that. But, you know, at the end of the day, in the long run, you can't sustain that through currency manipulation and just internal spending. You've got to make it much more a free market type system, which who knows how that's going to play out. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's definitely a risk. I do think that you know, the old buy American adage is going to come back in a different way, though, this time. When it first came up, it was in the late 80s, early 90s. I was living in Detroit. <laughs> that was kind of, you know, I'm sorry to say to any automotive folks out there, but they had it good for too long and they felt rather entitled and they yeah. were not wait to what could be done. Witness what was going on with your Hondas and, you know, the Japanese threat and European automobiles that were way better quality. You know, and so, but I think kind of that sentiment's coming back here in the U.S., where I think people realize that there are a lot of things we can do domestically, and be competitive. And you know, you know, I think that we'll see how that's going to play out. I I wouldn't be the first one to uh, suggest it's going to be easy, but um, yeah, we'll yeah. see. We will. We shall see. It'll be interesting uh, as it unfolds. Uh, a couple quick comments here. Uh, Keith, great to see you here. Love that picture, you and your son uh, via uh, YouTube. Uh, I was able to catch up with Keith on a uh, This Week in Business History Live uh, last week or two. Really enjoyed uh, his take there. So great to have you here today. Chad, hey, me and you, Kindred Spirits, his first car was a Honda Civic. Great car. I agree. Uh, you don't want to pull anything with a car. And, and, you know, you don't, want to, you don't want to take it with the whole family on vacation, but it was a great car. And, Chad, great to see you. Really enjoyed your appearance with us, uh, with our friends at Escrow. Um, Bill says there's a supply chain problem to solve. Ensuring the batteries, going back to the battery discussion, are available based on predicted demand, uh, use of the cars, trucks, passing the battery stations, all of that uh, infrastructure. Uh, great point there, Bill. All that has got to be solved. Uh, CM says China seeks dominance just like the Roman Empire. Excellent point there. Uh, Greg calls out something. Uh, Greg Studer from Milwaukee calls out something that you and I have chatted about previously, Greg. Uh, he says China has big issues Ooh. brewing with just economy and their housing issues, which is fascinating, especially um, it's, it's tough to give it justice here in, in a minute, but uh, as the Communist Party has uh, evidently uh, refused continuing to finance some of the reindeer games going on uh, in that sector in China. Right. So great point there. Uh, and Lucille, yeah, everything comes from China. They got leverage and they certainly know it and they act on it all the time. Excellent point. Okay. And we'll try to hit some of these comments here before we wrap with Eric. Uh, but um, Eric, as I touched on on the front end, uh, we love to share resources, right? That's what folks come to expect from us every Monday at 12 noon as we tackle the supply chain buzz uh, every single week. And you, Come with resources for our listeners. That's right. So <laughs> two in particular. So first, we've got an upcoming webinar coming up on uh, September 14th. Uh, Eric's team is hosting it. It's going to focus on Intuit Flow's scheduling and execution, so folks can check that out. Uh, and then secondly, Eric, uh, you and the team have developed a new white paper on managing in a supply-constrained environment. Touch on this white paper, if you would. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. Everybody knows there's supply chain constraints all around the world. Um, But it's interesting also to see that customers are seeing their inventory turnover rates slow down. So wait a minute. 
You're telling me I'm in a supply constrained environment. You would think my inventory turnover rates would be accelerating. Right. And instead they're slowing down. And why is that? Well, the constraints don't exist in all of the materials you buy and use in your products that you sell to the market. They're typically limited to a few like chips in the automobiles. And, you know, we've seen about for continuing to build Broncos, but they're missing some chip technology and they'll put that in later on. So they're, right. and they're getting parked in, um, in, in NASCAR race tracks <laughs> all over the place. Right. And, and so what's happening to customers is that they are continuing to use their forecast to buy materials out based on the amount of demand that they see. And they've got a lot of past due demand in that figure because they haven't been able to keep up because of those supply constraints, right? Meanwhile, the unconstrained materials just keep coming in, coming in, coming in, coming in, coming in. So uh, in the white paper, we actually show some publicly traded companies and what their inventory turnover rate performance was year over year. Some as bad as a 42% decline, others more in the 20 to 25% range and the like. The one notable exception, Pfizer. Okay. That you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Something about a, a vaccine. I think it might. I don't know what that was. But and don't and you so, think they uh, probably felt a little bit of whiplash effect, Eric? I mean, I, you know, that's a whole other story. But right. Mm. We probably won't know that for years. Is, it's just offering some strategies to look at how you should be pacing your acquisition of materials in this environment. The constraint has moved outside your organization. Usually mm. it's a production resource inside the plant or something like that. Now it's moved outside. And a lot of people have trouble modeling that limitation. And therefore they're buying at a rate beyond what they're gonna, uh, the other materials than what they'll be able to actually produce. And, and that's where, uh, just to make it really clear for folks, Greg, we love to, we love to What's that analogy you'd like to ask? If I'm walking down the hall, contemplating all of my issues, right? When when do I know to pick up the pick up the phone and call Eric? Yeah, right. So Eric, in a nutshell, then, uh, and Greg, Greg, I didn't do your uh, your famous. Pretty good, Scott. It was was really very good. Yeah, (laughs) I don't paint nearly the picture you do, but. Eric, in a nutshell, because uh, you're speaking on some things that I think you're, you and your team really focus on helping companies with. So in a nutshell, what does demand-driven technologies do? Um, we provide supply chain software technology in the cloud, uh, really in what's called integrated business planning. That's kind of your inventory planning, your production scheduling and execution and SNOP. And, um, you know, Greg mentioned he's a big Elon Musk fan, as am I, you know, whose primary driver is what's called first principle thinking. Take existing problems and boil them down so that there's no underlying assumptions. And what we're seeing is that by rethinking the software that's driving the core of supply chain, how I decide what to buy, build, and assemble, how I use my production resources, how I plan all that, we can make way better improvements on terms of inventory turnover. A lot of people don't know this, but in the last two and a half decades of ERP deployment, inventory turnover rates in the U.S. have been stagnant. So, say, say in the military whiskey tango fox run. I mean, <laughs> how can that be after all the money that we've spent on these ERP systems right. that we're not getting better? And there's these new demand-driven ideas out there now that use a much cleaner signal than your forecast, the actual consumption in the market. And by prioritizing and using that signal in a better way, and you were mentioning signal earlier today, I'm all about that. We can actually arrive at better inventory turnover rates, better on-time order fill rates, and a much easier environment for the users to be in. Love that. Okay. And folks, I'm going to get, Greg, I'm going to get you to uh, pile on here in just a second. But uh, those two resources I mentioned a minute ago, both the webinar and the white paper, those links are conveniently located in the chat and on the show notes there. So y'all check that out. Um, Greg, based on what Eric just shared, uh, the mission he and his team are on, uh, your thought there. Yeah, to quote uh, an ancient but very hilarious movie, The Gumball Rally, what is behind you, she does not matter, right? So (laughs) why do we keep looking into the rearview mirror to determine what is coming at us in the future? And I think what Eric is speaking to is that we have to start detecting those signals that share what is about to happen, not simply averaging what has happened in the past and expecting that to tell us what the future is. And, and the more that we shift the, the viewpoint of supply chain towards that, the better off we'll be because the whiplash effect 
frankly, the beer game is 100% wrong. It's looking into the past to determine what your future will be. And, and that's why I could never get it. Um, <laughs> how many beers do I want right now? Um, <laughs> that's, that's the real accurate. I wish beer I could game, tell huh? you, but it's a long block somewhere. Yeah. Right. But anyway, that, and that's a good point, Eric. We did have to start somewhere. And in 1903 and 1886, which is when most of the forecasting techniques that are used in supply chain were built, that was the data that we had. But now we have, as Eric's talking about, so much more robust data, so much greater viewpoint into the future that we need to go back to the first principle and think about why are we using all of these averaging techniques instead of thinking about how we can build a, you know, an, a better forecast into the future. And that is what will get companies over the line. And that's really what Eric is promoting here is, is look at those things that signal demand coming in your future, not those things that happened in your past. Nice, Greg and Eric. I want to get together. It sounds like lots of uh, related passions along these lines. Including hey. beer, I hope. <laughs> That's right. Hey, really quick, a couple of comments. Uh, this one's gotten a lot of uh, play there in the comments. Josh says, talking about replacing the workforce, supply, and rare goods of around one-third of the world's population, I think, he says, it comes down to what South American countries decide. Uh, Gene Pledger says, the Chinese declining workforce, parentheses, aging, will slow them down. Hopefully, <laughs> we shall see about that, Gene. What do I um, say about hope, Scott? <laughs> it's not a very successful strategy. Not huh? a strategy. That's right. Um, all right. And and CM, excellent point. Just takes one missing part to shut things down. Yeah. Eric mentioned that uh, about the chips and all those parked vehicles. Excellent point there, CM. Really enjoyed your perspective here today. And I believe you're a fellow Air Force veteran, CM. So uh, come back to our next live stream for sure. Okay. So she knows what whiskey, tango, foxtrot. <laughs> That's right. She does. <laughs> That's right. Um Eric, and I love how you uh, slipped that one in too. Um, let's make sure folks know how to connect. I mean, the easiest ways, of course, are those resources we dropped in. But beyond that, Eric, how can folks compare notes and check out to see what you and your team are up to? They reach out to info at demanddriventech.com or find us on LinkedIn or find me on LinkedIn. Uh, we'd love to get the conversation started. Um, I think there's a lot of ways that we can make things better, easier, and uh, much more effective and get that needle to move. I agree. Mm -hmm. I agree. And new, right? Instead of clinging to the past and what got us here, which isn't going to get us there, yep. you know, we got to change how we do things. Uh, Greg, along those lines, uh, what is one of your favorite things? What, what's, what's something you're going to be thinking about after we leave the conversation based on what Eric has shared? I think that one of the most important things we need to forget about in supply chain is the term all other things being equal which is exactly what, I, what one of the things that Eric is talking about, right? All other things are never equal in supply chain, right? And I think that that's important for us to recognize. And that's why this shift of awareness and the shift of, of methodology is required. And I think, um, you know, that's, it's, a, it's great to have technologies that can put you in position to do that. That's right. Nothing well is ever said. equal. Nothing ever uh, big thanks to Eric Bush and the Demand Driven Technologies team. Love what you're doing. I, I love how you challenge the prevailing um, attitude and position on, on how business is done. Eric, that's so important. We need a lot more of challengers like that. Uh, so thanks for stopping by here today, Eric. Thanks, Scott. Thanks, Greg. Always good to talk to you guys. Yeah. You likewise. Bet. Thanks, Eric. But guess what? We're not going. We're not going to let Eric go. We're going to oh, close with gosh. Eric in the room. Uh, he doesn't get swooshed so twice. He, Sorry, he doesn't Eric. Get no swoosh. I'm, well, <laughs> it's a one, one swoosh quota. You week. don't get the as many swooshes. Sorry. Well, that is. The, I think that's the rule of thumb these days. Uh, once you have three appearances, you're, you're basically family. That's uh, what so my mother always family, said. Eric. Get your own stuff out of the fridge now. Right. right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> one last comment here is: I want to invite folks uh, to check out uh, our latest. With that said, which is our newest LinkedIn newsletter, uh, powered by the Supply Chain Now fam, you're going to find challenging perspective like what Eric and Greg both have shared here today. We've been publishing it. I think it's our third edition. We publish it uh, on Saturday afternoons, and uh, the latest one: new news, noise, knows, and necessities with a gorgeous image of uh, City of Chicago, which is home to IMTS 2022. So y'all check that out. We'll drop the link 
uh, in the comments. We're almost, uh, Greg, almost 13,000 subscribers in less than two weeks Wow! with that. How Man, about that? That's incredible. Well, it's, it's these conversations we have, like the one that we had, me and you had with Eric here today. It's what it's all about, helping yep. more folks find it and engage and give us their take on, on the conversation. Um, all right. Lots of other comments. Uh, and Patrick, we've got, uh, we'll make sure you have that white paper link. So Amanda, Catherine, if y'all could uh, check that out, make sure. I know we dropped it in the comments, but we'll make sure we have get there that to you. Oh, that's, that's right. what that said. Sorry. That's right. There it is. Just wait. It's like uh, it's like the carousel. Wait, yeah. and they'll come right back around. That, um, that pretty white pony with the <laughs> silver mane. That's the one that's that right. I was waiting for to come around. <laughs> well, hey, kidding aside, big thanks to Eric Bush and the Demand Driven Technologies team. Really enjoyed the conversation. Greg, always a pleasure Likewise. knocking out these conversations with you. Uh, big thanks to the production team, uh, Nicole and the whole gang over there as well that helped out. Uh, but whatever you do, folks, you gotta, you gotta, steeds, not words. You gotta take action, right? On behalf of our entire team here, Scott Luton challenging you to do good, give forward, and be the change that's needed. We'll see you next time right back here on Supply Chain Now. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for being a part of our Supply Chain Now community. Check out all of our programming at supplychainnow.com and make sure you subscribe to Supply Chain Now anywhere you listen to podcasts. And follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time on Supply Chain Now. Supply Chain Now.